Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this day, for our mothers, for the reminder of how much we are loved by them, how they gave us life and um, just nourished us in so many ways to become the men and women we are today, Lord. We just thank you for them. We thank you also for helping us to see your love through our mothers. And we just ask that you would bless us in this time as we continue in your word, as we learn all about what you have for us to see and know. And so, Lord, we give you this time in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We are making our way through the story, our series of story. We are almost at the end today. We are in chapter 30, and next week, chapter 31, is the last chapter of our series. Very exciting, as we've gone through the very beginning, Genesis 1-1, we talked about creation, and we're making our way through. We saw God's people and how God was with his people. We've seen Jesus come. We've seen the church start up. We saw um, Paul's journeys last week. One of the things I want to point out to you and hopefully you have a sense of as we've been going through this, is that in the story, there is actually an an upper story and a lower story. The lower story is this life that we live here on earth. It's a life that is filled sometimes with chaos and struggles and hardships and sickness and injustice. But then there's also an upper story. The upper story is God's plan for the world, God's plan for your life and my life. God's plan for the church. A plan that will exist long after we have left this earth. God is using his upper story to oversee the lower story. And sometimes it might feel like all is lost as you look around the world, but understand this. God's plan is never lost. God's plan is never laid in ruins. God's plan will always come to fruition. In the end. Now, we know that living in the lower story can be stressful, it can be frustrating, it can be difficult. We don't always understand the whys and the hows of what God is doing. There are so many things that happen around us, or maybe even to us, that we would not choose to have happen. There are so many problems and trials that we face on a regular basis. We might wonder. What is going on with God's plan? As we come to chapter 30, we are going to look this morning at Paul's final days of his ministry. In his final days, we get some insight of how he endured trials and hardships and struggles. But even more than enduring, he had a sense of joy and he had great victory in Christ. We can understand, too, that in the midst of our challenges, our hardships, our struggles, we can have joy, we can have victory, because Christ is with us and walks with us. Really, the only way in life that we can grasp a sense of joy is by really holding on to Christ and letting Christ really fill us, fill us and, and lead us and guide us and, and, and help us to understand what he is doing in and through our lives. You know, it's interesting, when when Jesus called Paul into ministry, you thought, wow, he was just going to make his ministry easy and wonderful and great, right? But if you have been following, as we've been talking about Paul's journeys, you understand that Paul's ministry was anything but easy. It was filled with trial and hardship and struggle. 
So when you look at your own life and you wonder at times if God is with you, if you ever wonder if God cares about your life, if you ever wonder if God has a plan for your life, I encourage you to look at the life of Paul and to gain some perspective and to gain some understanding and to understand how God can fill us with joy in the midst of all that goes around us in this world. When you live faithfully for God, he will bring joy and blessings into your life. He will give you eyes to see and ears to hear and and a spirit to receive what he has for you. So chapter 30 starts out with Paul wanting to go to uh, Jerusalem. And when you see the uh, yellow parts, please read the yellow parts with me. So we read from Acts 20, 22 to 24. And now, compelled by the Spirit, Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. What a great thought, right? I only know that prison and hardships wait for me. Sign me up, right? When when can I go? However, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Life is full of surprises. We try try to plan our life. We try to think what we want to happen. And how often do things come into our lives or situations change that we would never have expected, we would never have chosen for ourselves? Often we try to plan our day, but different circumstances arise. So much of life is unexpected, but how wonderful it is to know that God is with us in the midst of this unexpectedness, in the midst of our hardships, our trials, our challenges of life. Paul lived a life full of hardships. He was compelled by the Spirit, led to the Spirit, to go and do God's will, which often meant that he was going to be persecuted. It often meant that he was going to be mocked. It often meant that he was going to be imprisoned. And yet he was still willing to go. Why would he do this? Why would he so willingly go in the midst of knowing what was waiting for him? Well, he tells us in verse 24 why he does that. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. See, first, he understands what Christ has done for him. He understands that his life is from God, and his life is to be lived for God. He understands that without Christ, he is nothing. This is the most important perspective that you can have in regards to your life. Paul understands that Jesus died on the cross for him, and that was resurrected from the grave to give him power to do all that he was called to do. We must understand, as we've come out of Good Friday and Easter, we must understand what Christ has sacrificed for us, that he has given his life for you and for me, and that my life is given to me from God, my life is given to me so that I can live for God, and that without Christ, I am nothing, I can do nothing of any great significance. That is so important to have that perspective in life. 
And so for this reason, Paul served the Lord faithfully in all, in all conditions. He understood that his life was worthless before Christ and priceless now that he has found Christ. Let me say that again. He understood that his life was worthless before Christ and priceless now that he has found Christ. In the movie Robin Hood, Robin Hood during the Crusades is imprisoned. And he happens to be imprisoned with a man named Akim. And Robin Hood is able to escape from the prison. And in doing so, he brings Akim with him, saving Akim from certain death. And because of that, Akim offers his life to Robin Hood. He says, I am in your service. I'm in your debt until I save your life. And so he commits himself completely to Robin Hood. Well, Paul sees an even bigger debt to Christ and vows to live for Christ and serve Christ to the end of his days. It is not just paying back a debt. It is understanding that in Christ, he has life. Life now, life of joy, life of meaning, life of purpose now, and eternal life when he dies. Paul understands that, and so he offers his life completely to Christ, to live for him, to serve him, to do everything in his power to fulfill the call that God has put on his life. No matter where it takes him, no matter where he might suffer. And so he says, my only aim is to finish the race. I have been set on this path. I've been set on a race for the Lord. And my only aim is to finish that race. If God's will is the only way to live, then Paul will focus on finishing that race by faithfully serving God in all times, in all ways, in all circumstances. And finishing the race means that he will testify to the good news of the salvation of Jesus Christ to all who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That is his purpose. That is his commitment. He is, his only aim is to do that for Christ with every breath he takes. And so through Paul's example, we can see that even though it might be a struggle to go out and to talk to people about Jesus, it might be a challenge to let people know that Jesus loves them. They might not be receptive about it. They, you might find some hardship or persecution in doing it. If you have the understanding that Paul has, that God has called us and put us on a mission, and that our only aim should be to finish that race, then we will be dedicated, we will com be committed to living for Christ. And in living for Christ, we will experience joy and blessing beyond any other kind of joy and blessing we can experience. Ultimately, Paul finds himself in prison. If you remember back when we went through the book of Acts, Paul was preaching, and in his preaching, it created a riot. And they blamed Paul for the riot, even though the others were fighting amongst these, each other. And so because of that, they put Paul in prison. Yet this circumstance does not stop Paul from performing in service to the Lord. Now, imagine this for a moment, okay? You go and you're talking to people, and for some whatever reason, you're telling about Jesus, and it creates this story, maybe creates a riot. The police come, they grab you, they stick you in jail, they put you in jail, and what is your perspective? You're probably, your perspective is probably like, woe is me, Right? How am I going to get out of here? I can't do anything now. I'm in jail. My life is worthless now. I have no 
purpose and meaning anymore. No, that's not how Paul thought. Paul thought, my only aim is to finish the race, and wherever I find myself, I am going to serve the Lord. So you know what he did? He started to write letters. Remember we talked about last week in his journeys, he would, he would preach the gospel, people would believe, he would start churches, he would train up some leadership, and then he would go to the next area, and he would do it again, and he would do it again, and he would do it again. And so now he thought, you know, I have these churches that I started, I'm going to write them some words of encouragement. And so he put together his prison letters, he wrote them out, and he wrote it to the, uh, the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, and Philemon are the letters he wrote while he was in prison. Colossians was written because he heard about heresy that was arising, false teaching that was rising up. And so he wrote the book of Ephesians to counter this heresy, this false teaching that was to be taught, so that the, the, the city of Colossae, the church in the city of Colossae, would receive this letter, they would be encouraged by it, and they would be led on that path to keep the truth of God strong and firm in their church and not allow the heresy, the false teaching, to impact them. He talks about the deity of Christ, how Christ was God in the flesh. They were trying to make a circumcision. The non-Jews are trying to say, you have to be circumcised to be saved. And, and Paul's saying, no, don't put that on them. They only have to be believers in Christ and follow Christ. And so he dealt with some issues of false teaching in the church in Colossae. Then he wrote the letter to Ephesus. It reflects upon the followers of Christ that they would understand the great doctrines of the Christian faith. And by the way, at the end of the summer, I'm going to do a series. Uh, our denomination, uh, ECO, has what's called the tenets of faith, the great doctrines of the faith. And I'm going to do a series on these doctrines of faith so that we have a good sense, a good understanding of what are these basic foundational a Christian truths that we need to understand. And that's what the book of, uh, of Ephesians is about, writing to the church and helping them to understand the great doctrines of the faith. And then he writes the book of Philippians. And if you've ever read the book of Philippians, you know that it is filled with one particular word, the word joy or rejoice. Time and time again, throughout the whole book of Philippians, he's talking about experiencing joy. He's talking about rejoicing. Now imagine, where is he when he's writing this? Where is Paul when he's writing this? He's in jail. But what is he writing about? Joy. Could you imagine being a church in Philippi and getting this letter from someone who's in prison who's talking about joy, talking about rejoicing? I mean, if you had any troubles or hardships in your life, you'd look at this and say, this person who's in prison is writing me about experiencing the joy of the Lord. How can I not when he can while he's in prison? And then his fourth prison letter was Paul's letter to his friend and fellow laborer Philemon. Philemon had this slave, Onesimus, who escaped and went off to Rome. And while in Rome, Onesimus meets Paul and becomes a Christ follower. And Paul encourages Onesimus to go back to Philemon, even though he was a slave. And he, he talked to Philemon and said, don't punish him for leaving. He is now a Christian. You can be fellow Christians in the Lord. He encouraged, at the time, you know, he didn't agree with slavery, but that was part of the law. So he said, he said, Onesimus, be the best slave you can be to your master. And Philemon, be the best master you can to your slave. 
and understand that you are co-believers, co-laborers in the Lord. That spiritual equality could be achieved even between master and slave. So we see in the scriptures that Paul, in his time, builds a close relationship with Timothy. He begins to build this relationship with Timothy, Timothy, and we see that it actually has three phases, his relationship with Timothy, that I like to walk you through. Three phases. The first phase is that like a parent. In his first letter to Timothy, he writes these words, My true son in the faith. Paul at first thought of himself as a spiritual parent to Timothy, someone who was young in the faith, someone who needed to be nurtured and trained, and so he, he discipled him as a parent would a child. He, he loved him and nurtured him and cared for him as a parent would for a child. And so their relationship started out as that of a, like a parent and a child. And so as we think about discipleship, sometimes we might have a discipleship relationship with someone like a parent. Now, all of you have relationships with our children, right? We have beautiful, wonderful children here. And sometimes you might want to impart a word of truth, a word of knowledge to these children, right? Maybe some of you are teachers to these children. And so it's like a parent-child relationship. Or someone who's younger than you becomes a Christian. They're new in the faith. And so you walk alongside them and you encourage them and you, and you talk to them and you give them some instruction. You are discipling them like a parent would a child. Sometimes we have that discipleship relationship with others. And it's a really great thing. But there was a second phase to his relationship with Timothy, and that was being an example of what it meant to be a mature Christian. Second Timothy 3.10, Paul says to Timothy, you know what I teach, you know how I live, you know what my purpose in life is, you know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. Paul says, you've seen these things in me, you've heard these things from me, follow them. Paul set the pace for Timothy. He set in a Christian example for Timothy. This is what it means. This is what it looks like to be a mature Christian. There's a quote that says, Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. Now, I particularly think that that, uh, that quote is a little fatalistic, but I think there's some truth to it. And I think Paul would agree with this part of it, that Every generation is expected to follow the call of the Great Commission, to go and to make disciples. Every generation needs to fulfill this purpose. The, the next generation is watching us to set the pace, to set the example. Are we being a good Christian example of what it means to be Christ followers, of what it means to be leaders in the church? See, if we drop the ball, God's kingdom will not only suffer now, that it will suffer in the future for lack of Christians and Christian leaders. And so a second way that we might disciple others is just by our example, by being a good Christian example, and for each other looking at it and saying, wow, I want to be like that person. I, wow, you know, my joy isn't like that person. I want to be more joyful like that person. Wow, that person is so self-giving, selfless in their giving. I want to be more like that. And we look at each other's example, and we learn and we grow from each other. That's discipling when, you, when you're encouraging one another to be a more mature 
Christian. But then there was a third phase to his relationship with Timothy. So he started out to be like a parent, and then he became an example to him, and then he referred to him as a fellow worker. In Romans 16.21, he says, Timothy, my fellow worker, sends you his greetings. He's writing to the church in Rome. And he says, Timothy, my fellow worker. He's no, like a, he's no longer like a son to him. He's no longer just, you know, I'm the example to you. He is now a fellow worker, a co-laborer in Christ. He has matured in his Christian faith and in his following of Christ. You know, we spend plenty of time wishing for and praying for leaders, right? We understand that, that Jesus says the, the harvest is great, but the, the laborers are few. And so we pray for more laborers. But you know what we should do on top of that? We should disciple one another to become leaders in the church. So if you're a leader in any way in this church, you should say, hmm, how can I disciple another to become a leader? Maybe you just encourage them to come alongside you in a ministry or in a Bible study that you're doing. Or maybe you're a teacher. You, you have them come alongside you and work with you and see the importance of the ministry and, and see the importance of being a leader in the church. And then in time, they will discover their own gift. Maybe they take over your ministry, or maybe they, they find a new ministry that they can lead. One of the ways I've challenged the session is to disciple someone to take their place. So we're not just going through the same people over and over and over again to be elders. But we're bringing in, we're maturing people in Christ to become new leaders for the church. Many of you have probably been discipled in your life. As I thought about my own journey, I thought about Andy, my friend Andy, who came alongside me and took me to church and prayed for me and, and told me about Jesus. And ultimately, because of Andy, I became a Christian. And then I think about Glenn, who came alongside me and would meet with me, and we would talk about the scriptures, and he, and he helped me to mature in my faith. And then I think about Paul when I was in, in college and how Paul came alongside me and not only encouraged me in my Christian faith, but he, he taught me how to be a leader a better leader. And I think about person after person after person that God has put into my life to disciple me in some way to become the, the Christian and the minister that I am today. And in your life, many of you could probably think about people that God has brought into your life, formally or informally, who has helped you grow and helped you become the person and the leader you are today. And then I encourage you, do that for someone else. Do that. Or someone else. Everyone who believes in Christ can disciple another person. That is excitement, right? That is excitement. We have this call to, to help others become more mature Christians, to be co-laborers in the work of Christ. Well, I just want to close our time now then with uh, we're just talking about the last letters that Paul actually wrote. And Paul's last letters were written, is believed that he wrote them to Timothy. And I just want to highlight three things that he told Timothy um, in these letters. You can read the yellow part with me. 1 Timothy 1, 5-6. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless 
talk. The goal is love, right? We are called to love. That is our goal. That is our, 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 our foundational purpose. When we become Christians, our goal is to go out and to love people like Jesus did, to love people in a way that is different from the world's love, to love them into the kingdom, to love them so that they're curious about Christ, to love them so that they know about Christ. And we can only do that when our heart is pure, when we have given ourselves over to Christ, when we have confessed our sin, when we said, Lord, take away my sin and make me more holy, make me more righteous, make me desire to live according to your ways and your commands. And when we have that pure heart and that good conscience and that sincere faith, then we can truly serve the Lord as God calls us to serve. But secondly, he wrote to Timothy 1, 7 to 8. Paul says, they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. And so Paul encourages Timothy, be confident, be bold in what you know and what you have learned. Be confident in how you present Christ to others. Do it boldly. I mean, do you really love the Lord? You know, I remember when I had a child, I didn't kind of go, uh, I have a child, his name is Tyler, it's really, I'm really excited about Tyler, and I kind of love him, and you know, I think you might like him, you know, you, maybe you want to meet Tyler. You know, I mean, I didn't, I'm like, I have a child! His name's Tyler, and I love him, and he's the best thing I ever had in my life, and I have a daughter, her name is Tiffany, and, right? I mean, I'm so excited about my children. There's no way that I wouldn't be anything but bold in telling my peop other people about my children. I love them, and I'm so proud of them and so confident in my love for them. Do we have that boldness and that confidence in Christ? When we do, we present Christ in a way that people will want to know him. Why are you so excited about Jesus? Right? And then the third thing. 2 Timothy 2, 1-2. Paul says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. It's kind of the whole idea of discipleship, right? When we, well, Ty went off to college. In the first two years, he didn't have a car. He had to kind of fend for himself, use the bus, use his friend's car, that thing. Tiffany used the Camry to drive to school and to get around. And then Tim Tiffany went off to college, and she didn't need a car her first couple years. And so after two years, we, we let Tyler take the Camry to college. But we had long-term plans for this Camry. So we said, Tyler, we're entrusting this car to you. We want you to take care of it well. When your time with it is done, we still want it running and in good condition. <laughs> right? We are trusting you to care for this car, to be mature about how you use it, right? We entrusted it to him. Well, even in a more significant way, Paul says to Timothy, you are like my son, and then you were learning from me, and you saw what was going on, and you understood the truth that I was teaching to you, and then you became my co-laborer, and now you are a leader, and your call as a leader is to do what? to entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. 
this is full cycle evangelism, okay? Timothy becomes a Christian. He gets discipled by Paul. He becomes a mature Christian. He becomes a leader. Then he starts to uh, disciple someone else who becomes a Christian. He disciples them so that they can be a mature Christian, so that they can become a leader, so that they can ultimately lead someone to Christ and disciple them. See how that works. See how that works. The goal is to disciple someone so that they can get to a place to where they can disciple someone else. And so then you're still discipling someone, and they're discipling someone, and it's a multiplication process. And trust to reliable people. So here's a hard word. You might be trying to disciple someone. You might be trying to reach out to someone. You might be witnessing to someone, and they're not receiving it, not getting it. They're not. Paul would say, step away from that person. I mean, don't forget them forever, but step away from that person. Find reliable people who are receptive and are open to your discipleship of them. They will be there. God will lead them to you. Don't knock your head on the wall trying to disciple someone that doesn't want to be discipled. It only leads to frustration and makes you say, I'm, I can't disciple. It makes you want to quit. So let me close with this. Paul states a sober truth in 2 Timothy 3, 11 and 12. He says, I endured persecutions, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. That's sobering, but that's true. The question is, do you want the world's approval or do you want God's approval? Do you want the world's blessings, which are short-lived, or do you want God's blessings? Do you want the joy that comes from the world's things that is short-lived, or do you want God's joy that is eternal? Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 6-7, the time... <clears throat> The time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul has been in prison for a long time. He knows that his death is near. And he accepts that. He's okay with that. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have faced persecutions, but it has been worth it. Why? Because I have lived my life for Jesus Christ. I have lived a purposeful and meaningful life. I have led people to eternal salvation through Christ. There are going to be people that are in heaven because of Paul's work. People are saved because of what Paul did. He said, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race well. Don't you want that said of your life? I know I do. I want to be able to say, I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race well. And the way we do it is by having one sole aim, and that is to tell people about Jesus and to love people for Jesus. And if you do that, you can say into your life, I have fought the fight, I have finished the race well. And let's pray.